you know, success can cause you to be, you can be a, you can be in bondage to success just as easily as you can be in bondage to, uh, to brokenness. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I think, I think some people are unwilling to risk because they're successful and some people are unwilling to risk because they're damaged, they're hurt, Mm. they're broken. This study references the book Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity by Mike Hilson. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon. Welcome back to our study in Nehemiah, Taking Authority Over Identity. Again, I want to encourage you, if you'd like to go deeper on this, we have a book on this. So you can pick this up from Amazon, any, any, of, the, uh, any of the outlets that you'd like to go to. You can grab this book. And the book is just, it's written in, in um, devotional format. So you could take one devotion a day and work your way through it and work your way through the entire book of, uh, of Nehemiah. But as we're going through it, we're going through it in large chunks. And we're doing this from the standpoint of, of I am, taking authority over our ident- identity. Because my identity that I receive, the label I receive, sets my truth. We've talked about this cycle. Sets my truth. That truth sets my thinking. My thinking determines my actions. My actions cause my habits. And that reinforces the label if I'm not careful if somehow I don't see that change. In chapter two, we're going to see Nehemiah's label of himself shift and change. Now, remember that that it starts out in the month of Kislev, which we don't, you know, th- that doesn't match for us as to as to where that works. But it starts out in chapter one in the month of Kislev in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. When we get to chapter two, we're still in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, but we're now in the month of Nisan. Watch. In the month of chapter two, verse one, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. So, so what we now know is that Four months, approximately four months has passed since he hears from Jerusalem, and now he's he's about to walk into the presence of the king. For four months, he has prayed. For four months, he has thought. For four months, he has worked in his head what God would have him do with this depressing, devastating news from the city of Jerusalem. In that four months, somehow, What the Holy Spirit does, what God does in his heart is God moves him from being defeated and helpless, threatened, which we see in the first chapter. God moves him from being that to being potentially, perhaps, I'm the answer, I'm the solution. God intersects his I am, his identity, takes him out of the identity of the broken and moves him to the identity of of someone that has possibility, someone that has potential. When you go from brokenness to potential, the whole way you look at the world changes. And that happened in his mind somehow in this four-month period because in chapter 2, we see a very different Nehemiah. In chapter 1, we see a a Nehemiah who is still identifying as broken. In chapter 2, we see a a Nehemiah that is identified as someone who has potential, who could potentially bring healing to this, who could potentially bring a change to this. Now, I want to make something very clear. I want to make it very clear that Nehemiah begins by dreaming 
I think it all begins with a dream. You have to be willing to allow yourself to dream. Now, listen, listen to me. The first thing that dies when you accept the label of broken, the first thing that dies when you accept the label of defeated or threatened or incapable, the first thing that dies is your ability to dream. You don't have big dreams. You don't, you don't think in, all you're thinking about is surviving the next day. That's actually what's going on in Jerusalem right now. They're just trying to survive the next day. There's no dream of trying to make Jerusalem powerful or strong or wealthy again. They're just trying to survive because they know they're going to get raided the next day. Quite frankly, that's precisely where Nehemiah is. He just wants to live to the next day. Hopefully nobody's going to try to poison the king today because you try to poison the king, Nehemiah is who you're going to get. And so he's just trying to make it to the next day. That, that happens in our brokenness. We get caught in this cycle of just let me make it through one more 24-hour period. And that just continues to depress us further. But if you can re-engage your capacity to dream, to somehow think I could have the potential of making a difference here. It says here, watch. The last sentence in the last sentence in verse 1 says, I had not been sad in his presence before. Why is that important? Because no one has the right to be sad in the presence of the king, especially especially not a slave. It is not the slave's place to change or to somehow darken or dampen the king's mood. If you messed up the king's mood, if you put the, took the king from a bad from a good mood to a bad mood, that could be that could be fatal. This this man holds literally in his hand the ability to to have you killed and it be legal. And so it's not normal for any servant to show any emotion other than gratitude to the king or honor and reverence to the king. And so all of a sudden, Nehemiah intentionally, we'll see this, intentionally allows himself to be sad in the presence of the king. He's begun to dream about what might be possible. The king asked him, why are you sad? And I said to the king, verse 3, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Do you understand that what he's saying is he's saying to the king, he's saying, King, I have been sad in your presence. That's a risk enough, right? But what he's saying to the king is, King, the town I'm from is under your control and you've allowed it to remain so broken so torn down, no gates, no walls, no protection. You, he, He's not using these words, but if you're King Artaxerxes, you're hearing this, wow, we've never rebuilt that town. Wow, this is your hometown and we've let it live. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Because King Artaxerxes is the one that has the authority over it. He's the one that has the responsibility. And day and David, I'm sorry, I'm getting my stories mixed up. And Nehemiah is is saying to the king, "My town is broken down, and you've let it stay that way." He didn't say those last words, but that's insinuated. Listen, you've got to be willing to dream. But if you're ever going to make a real difference in the world, you've got to be willing to risk. Nehemiah took a massive risk here. He could have been killed just for being sad in the presence of the king or imprisoned for the rest of his life. He could certainly be imprisoned or killed for, the, for, for suggesting to the king that the king has not properly handled one of his provinces or one of his cities that he's in charge of. And yet that is what Nehemiah is insinuating. How could I not be sad when this city that I'm from that is under your authority 
is in such disarray. You've got to be willing. Some people are, look, can I be honest? Some people, some people dream big, but risk small. When you risk, you will only achieve to the level that you risk. But now, stay with me. Don't risk anything God didn't tell you to. Everybody good? But some people dream big but risk small. If you dream big and risk small, you're never going to accomplish much of a greatness. But Nehemiah just dove in. Nehemiah was risking it all in this moment. It doesn't feel like it because it looks like he's just having a conversation with a friend. But this is not his friend. This is his king. That's a very different thing. And so, so he is taking a huge risk here. It says then, uh, the, king, the king looks at him and says, well, then what can I do? What can I do for you? And then we jump down to verse 5. And I answer the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, watch this. He's not just asking to go. Watch what he does. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. You see what he says? I want your protection. Wait. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy. Will you give me all the materials I need? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters, and the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Not only did the king grant his request, the king one-upped him and sent a whole security guard with him. Here's the thing. You've got to be willing to dream. That's first. Sometimes that sometimes that takes a while. You got four months here. He's planned this out, right? You've got to be willing to take a risk. There's a moment where four months in, here's his moment. He's got to take the moment. But during that four-month period, he formulated a plan. Now, watch. I want you to see something. Not only did he formulate a plan, you've got to be willing to dream. You've got to be willing to risk. But can I, can I tell you, y'all, this is the place most people fall off. You've got to be willing to ask. There, there are so many people that they have great plans, they have great ideas, but they won't ask anybody to help them. If you don't ask people to help you, you're never going to accomplish what you're after because you can't accomplish greatness by yourself. You've got to have other people with you. And then so many times, I mean, I've had, I've had fam members of my family, well, I don't want to ask that. Well, why? Because they might not want to do it. Well, well, what's the worst answer you could get? The worst answer you could get is a no. And if you get a no, maybe it depresses you. Maybe it hurts your feelings. I don't know. But if you don't ask, you'll never know. And the truth is you've got to be willing to ask for things and know what you want. Listen, if you're going to ask, listen, uh, look, especially if you're dealing with somebody in authority, if you're going to ask someone in authority for something, be prepared to know what you need. Nehemiah didn't look at the king and say, hey, I want to go rebuild my city. Okay, what do you need? I, I, I don't know. Do I have, can, I, can I have some time? But he'd have never been granted the request if he didn't have his answer in the moment. Before you get to your opportunity, before you take your risk, back in the dreaming stage, figure out what you have to ask for. And then when God opens the opportunity, ask big. I mean, look, don't, don't, don't just ask for one thing. Go ahead and ask for everything you need. Because the truth is, 
he needed all of that. He had to have the material from the from from Asaph. He had to have the letters to the to the rulers, the governors, and the Trans Euphrates. He had to have all these things. If he didn't have them, he wasn't going to succeed. You've got to be willing to ask. You've got to be willing to dream, willing to risk, and you've got to be willing to ask. Then watch. We get down to verse 11, and he arrives in the city. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with, with, with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There, there, were no, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal, toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed with fire. Then I moved on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but, but there was not enough room for my, for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had, as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem, had, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Amorite official and Geshem and the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? You see, watch, watch. You got to be willing to dream. You got to be willing to risk. You got to be willing to ask. But listen, you've also got to be willing to strategize. Figure it out. You got to figure out how you're going to do it. You can't just figure out that. Y'all, y'all, I've run into people in my life. They figured out that they're going to do something, but they have not done the work to figure out how they're going to do it. If you decide that you're going to do something, but you don't know how you're going to get it done, then, then please don't take the first step. My goodness, the worst thing in the world you can do is get a group of people fired up about you doing something and then you don't have a strategy to get it done because now you've lost the faith of the people that you're trying to lead. You've got to have a strategy. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, it seems to me that all the decisions are made before we get here. When I have a board meeting at, at, at the church, I get the board together and they say, well, you've already made all the decisions. And I literally look at them and I say, look, this is a multifaceted. There are we've planted 10 churches in the U.S. We well, we planted more than that. There are 10 that still exist. And we've and we planted in Guatemala. I'm like, we've got this huge organization. Do you really want me to come in here without a plan? Do you really want me to come in here and us just shoot from the hip when we get in the board meeting? And they go, well, no. Why? Because you got to show up with a strategy. You got to show up with a plan. You got to be willing to strategize. If they change or alter or tweak the plan, that's fine. But you got to show up with a plan. You got to strategize. It's not just that you're going to get it done. It's how you're going to get it done. Got to be willing to dream, willing to risk, willing to ask, willing to strategize and watch. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And then Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, and they, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiah. In other words, watch, you got to be willing to start. Now, I know people who have lost the ability to dream, and they're not willing to regain it. 
I know people who have lost their willingness to risk and they're not willing to take any risk anymore. I know people who are willing to take the risk, but they won't ask for any help and they don't get anything done. I know people who will go all the way to the ask, but they don't have a strategy and they don't get anything done. But if you make it all the way through all, all of that, you're willing to dream, you're willing, you're, willing to, you're willing to risk, you're willing to ask, you're willing to strategize. If you make it through all of that, do you know that I know people that made it through all of that and still haven't accomplished anything? You know why? Because they never started. You cannot finish what you have not started. So here's what I want for you. I want you to understand that, that you are no longer the broken, hopeless, helpless person. You are a child of God. Let that, let that identity start changing. You, you are a follower. You are a servant of the God who can accomplish anything. Let that identity start to change. Start dreaming with it. And as you dream, when God finally gives you a dream, get it all together, have your plan together, and then take a risk. Ask for help. Make a strategy that gets you all the way to the end. And look, when you finally get there and you have all the authority and everything, don't just jump right in. Take the time to look around and make sure that the ground is actually what you thought it was going to be. That's what Nehemiah did. But when all of that is in place, I dare you. Oh, let's go Southern. I double dog dare you get started. I'm not really sure I know what double dog dare means. <laughs> I, I know what dare means. And I'm very, I'm very pumped up. I'm thinking that everybody watching is like, okay, I'm going to go start something. I'm not going to get through Nehemiah because I got enough right here to go and start the thing that I've been dreaming about. But what takes so long? I mean, in this story, there's a clear timeline that you uncover, which is really helpful because those months don't add up. You got Nissan and Mitsubishi and Sousa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know right. what you said, but you've got all these different months and you just, you said, you said it's four months. So mm -hmm. that's a lot of days, right? It's a long time. What takes us so long sometimes to, to act on our dream? Well, I think, I think there are a number of, well, depending on the size of the goal you want to shoot at, you need to put an equivalent amount of time, risk, and strategy into the thinking and dreaming of it mm. to, the, the, to correspond to the size of it. Now, let, let, me, let me do it this way. When I, when I first showed up at, um, at La Plata, at New Life here in La Plata, um, it was a church of about 80 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were interviewing us for the job. And, and literally the Sunday before we came, now it's a misnomer because it was the last Sunday of the year, you're right. 35 people came to church the Sunday before our first Sunday. Hmm. And so uh, our first Sunday was January of 1999. And uh, so the board, before we took the job, asked us, well, what are you going to do? And my answer to them, now I had ideas in my mind. Church planting was already there. All these these dreams were already there. I had, I had a solid idea of how I wanted to do discipleship, how I wanted to do worship, how I wanted to do uh, church planting, church growth. had a solid idea of that, but I didn't actually know how we were going to do it here because I had not gotten on my mount and walked and, and, and yeah, ridden yeah, yeah. the horse around the property, right? Mm -hmm. So I looked at them and I said, we're going to, I said, I don't know. I know God's going to do great things, but we'll figure it out together as we go along. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is when you actually take people on the right journey that way, when you have a plan, when you have a strategy, their belief in you will sometimes surpass your own. Mm -hmm. uh, I can remember a board meeting two years later 
The church had begun to really grow, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, here's my goal. My goal is that within 10 years, we have 500, and they laughed. I mean, they laughed at me in the meeting, and I'm like, is that too big? I was, I was My insecurity went, whoo! I mean, just flame on with the insecurity. You right, know? Right. And they said, no, you need to triple that. They believed more than I did. <laughs> By the way, they were right. <laughs> and so that's what God did. Wow. So I think I think if you handle this right, and and remember I came from a place of brokenness myself, mm-hmm. so to to finally step in, but to take the time to dream, to take the time to ask people to help. In fact, when I came here, uh, the district superintendent was a great leader, mm-hmm. and I he said, "Will you take this job?" And I said, "I'll take it under one condition: if you'll be my mentor." Hmm. And he said, "Yes." So I I was asking for help. Yes, right. So so all of those things have to fall into place. I think it takes so long because uh, one of two things, either the job is huge and you need plenty of time to plan for it, mm-hmm. or your brokenness is huge and you need a long time for the Holy Spirit to break that identity and move you on. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people get stuck at the risk part. They do. Right? You calculate the risk, you look at what you have mm-hmm. already, and you think, this dream, this idea that I have, it's too big. It's so big that if I take a risk to do it, that I might lose everything that I have. Can, can I take that a, a layer deeper? Sure. When you don't have anything, betting the farm is easy. Right. But as as you have more, people who have accomplished more or accumulated more find risk harder, mm-hmm. not easier. You would think it was the other way around because they have more so they could take a risk. Yeah, put that in Nehemiah terms. Yeah, in Nehemiah terms, it, all he has is he's he's got proximity to power. Right. He's got proximity to the king. That's all he has. Well, compared to other servants. But compared to other good. servants, that's huge. He's doing pretty good. Yes, he is. But he's risking that. Mm-hmm. He's risking. He's betting the farm with everything he's got. I mean, he's got a cushy job, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. He might die if somebody tries to poison the king. But other than that, he's eating great food and yeah, <laughs> tasting sure. great wine. You know, so, I mean, he's, it's, it's, it's a cushy job. But um, he risks all of that. Mm. In order to say, I'm going to do this. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the story of Esther, which is the same kind of time period. Yeah. You know, Esther is the queen. She has to risk everything right. to save her people. And Nehemiah has to do the same and thing. And she knows a lot. I mean, she knows how low it goes because she goes from being no one yep. to somebody really, really big. Right. And she has to put it all on the line. She does. She does. And I think it's harder. I, I think, when, again, I think when I, and I speak my experience. Yeah. When I didn't have much, risking it all was just what you do. Mm-hmm. But when you have a lot, it's tough to risk it all at that point, and it can mess with your head. Mm-hmm. You know, success can cause you to be, you can be, a, you can be in bondage to success yeah. just as easily as you can be in bondage to, uh, to brokenness. Mm-hmm. So and and I think I think some people are unwilling to risk because they're successful, and some people are unwilling to risk because they're damaged, they're hurt, mm. they're broken. So on the continuum, you end with start. Right, right. start is the last thing that you have to do in the process after. Uh, you no, start is where you commence to begin. It's where you commence to begin. Yes, right. But you're but you have to do that, or else right. all the dreaming, strategizing, everything else doesn't happen. What's the greatest enemy? to pulling the trigger in the start? Oh, fear. 100% fear. Um, because I, what I didn't read, I didn't read over it, but we're, in, the next, in the next lesson, we're going to get into uh, people that come against him. Mm. Uh, there, there, are, there are these local little 
power brokers mm-hmm. that are that are coming against him. And um, yeah, and one so, guy literally has the word ballot in his name. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Tobiah. You know, I mean, and and Geshem, Geshem the Arab. You know, all these yeah. all these guys are coming against him, and and you know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I I think I think sometimes the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. Sometimes you can cre- you can take all the steps, all the other steps, hmm. but all of a sudden you get there. The, think about it. Nehemiah took all the steps, but all of those steps he took were in Susa, in the palace. When you get on the back of a donkey and you ride around the broken down city of Jerusalem, that looks a lot different Bleak. than what you were looking at or thinking about or dreaming of when you were back in Susa. Yeah. This job looks a lot bigger mm-hmm. when you get there. And all of a sudden that can intimidate and sometimes people will go through all the steps and then not start. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think, you know, that's just missing God's best for you. Right. How long estimated would would a job like this take? Um they finished it I okay, you asked me a question that I'm not quite prepared for. Mm-hmm. It actually says that in yeah. the it, it's it, it's a, it's a stunningly short period of time. Yeah, like within a, within a year they right. finish it or, or months they finish it mm-hmm. and I again it's in one of the chapters and I can't pull it out of my head right now mm-hmm. but um, but it, it's it's stunningly short yeah. and it, again we're in another chapter we're going to get into how he got that to work yeah so awesome can't wait to see that yeah.